0: Welcome to the Sam Says Podcast. I'm Samantha Old Fry, the CEO of the Illinois Association of Medicaid Health Plans, also known as IMHIP. In this podcast, we focus on all things surrounding the Illinois Medicaid Managed Care Program. Welcome to the Sam Says Podcast. I'm the Sam and Sam Says, and today I'm so excited to welcome back our good friend and faithful longstanding podcast guest and I'm HIP consultant, Kareem Kemiata to talk about the start of the year, Illinois' legislative session, and everything that is before us. As always, Kareem, it's so nice to have you back, my friend.
1: Thank you, Samantha, always great to be on.
0: And I'm excited for today's conversation, because we are, we're at the beginning of a new year, we're at the beginning of a new legislative session, and, you know, for once, um, I really don't know that I know what to expect. And so I'm hoping I can pick your brain about what's happened so far and what's to come and really get your thoughts on it all. So, you know, let's dive in right there. How are things kicking off and sort of what's noteworthy from your vantage point?
1: Yeah, well, you're not alone, Samantha, in the sense of uh, not knowing what's going to happen. Because I do think, in a lot of ways, Illinois is kind of in an uncharted territory. I mean, we have not that we haven't had uh, you know major numbers for one party before, but I think when you look at what's happening nationally um, and all the kind of political divisions, you know, in Illinois at least, it seems like you know the Democrats have you know gained a. a Nice majority in the House, obviously 78 members of the Senate and obviously the governor's office and, you know, all of the constitutional offices. So, you know, Illinois is kind of been a unique situation in the sense of, you know, despite all the national divisions across the country, you know, how will the majorities that the Democrats control here actually figure out how to work together? And I think that's what everyone, including probably... some of the leaders in the House and Senate are going to try to figure out is with all these uh, new members and all the excitement that comes with new members that come to Springfield, you know, is it going to be a lot of ideas that are put out there but don't go anywhere? Or are the members actually going to, like, you know, take their time and get to understand Springfield and put together proposals, you know, as a unit versus as individuals. So I think there are a lot of unanswered questions and it's going to probably take a little while to figure it out for everyone involved, including internal and inside the legislature and outside the legislature. So sorry, that's a long answer, but I think that's how at least I view it at this point in time.
0: I feel the same. I feel the exact same, Kareem. And I I think that You know, we've had, to your point, um, one party control, super majorities um, before in Illinois or, you know, near um, one party control. So that part's not new. Um, I think everybody knows or or will find out shortly, um, you know, that the Democrats uh, have a strong foothold here in Illinois. And so we know that. but what does that look like? And I think you start to see this sometimes in in the national sense as well. But you definitely see it in Illinois, especially as you get up close um, and are working with all the members, is that just because there's a D or an R next to your name, it doesn't mean your ideology is the same as every other Democrat or every other Republican, and there's a lot of diversity. Not, you know, especially within the Democratic caucuses of both chambers. They're very large caucuses. That means there are a lot of people, and that means that, you know, you're going to have progressives, you're going to have conservatives, you're going to have moderates. You know, you're going to have people sort of across the spectrum uh, within both caucuses, both the Senate Democratic Caucus and the Senate or the House Democratic Caucus. And how do you, you know, pull those groups together um, to, to make some, you know, big decisions? And how do you make sure that you sort of do that, you know, with the governor's office? You know, what does this all look like? And I think to your point, um, the leaders of all four caucuses really have a lot of work uh, ahead of them
1: absolutely and you know when you think about just the dynamic and you know i i could speak for myself i was a young staffer i stayed you know grew up in chicago and went to northern Illinois. i was mostly on the northern part of the state you know most of my life and you go down to springfield And especially within the legislature, you start to learn about, you know, moderate Democrats and downstate Democrats and Democrats from central Illinois and how they view things. And so, you know, I just think, yeah, for a lot of new members, and I just picked the northern area in particular, because, you know, I think especially in the House, that's where a lot of the new members are coming from. You know, it is a learning curve. uh, But I get it versus being a legislator versus a staffer, you know, you go in as a legislator, and you want to make change right away, and unfortunately, as you know, Samantha Springfield's not ideal for change right away, and, you know, a lot of times, what you find is all the great ideas that you might have, someone has probably either already tried to implement them, or there's a reason they can't be implemented, and so I think there's a big learning curve, and, you know, I think it's natural. Like anything, it takes time to learn it, but unfortunately, I don't think legislators always get that benefit of the doubt. And they're expected to deliver things immediately. And, you know, I think that's going to create, you know, some unique situations, particularly for uh, Speaker Welch, because he's dealing with so many new members.
0: I could not agree more. Um, And I've had many of those. I also, to your point, I was also a legislative staffer and there are so many conversations around, um, you know, oh, we, we, we did that. I mean, the amount of times where, you know, when I was a staffer, just letting new members know, like, oh, that's actually already current law or um, you know, they might have a proposal that actually would have that they thought would bolster sort of a program or protection and it was actually weaker than current policy. Again, just because it's so often the policies that we're all dealing with are so nuanced um, and it does, it just takes a little bit of time to sort of understand the lay of the land. And what I'm gonna add another layer where you and I have talked about this before and the effect of COVID. We have a lot of sophomore members who haven't really experienced springfield in a normal way. You know they've been there, you know they you know this is their second maybe third term and especially if it's your second term where you know covid was the bulk of your first term. And so they're not used to all of the lobby days and the large groups coming down to Springfield and the lobbyists and the consultants and the advocates and the constituents really you know being there every day and you know what does that look like and so i think it's like there's a new a unique layer where we have new freshmen you know who haven't been legislators at all and some are familiar with Springfield and some aren't or or you know will be they're just newer but then you also have, I think, you know, that sophomore class that will still will be adjusting to the newer new normal, if you will.
1: Yes, yeah, that's, that's that's a great point. Um, and, you know, especially from the lobby perspective, because you're right. I think new members that kind of that came in during that COVID period and, you know, were able to pass bills virtually and, you know, you really didn't have that same lobbying presence. And I can tell you that that makes such a big difference when you're in person and, you know, when lobbyists actually have the ability to kind of communicate with members and, you know, there's more of an open, free discussion. I think it just changes how the process works entirely so yeah you put, throw in you know all these new members and then like you said the sophomore members who haven't really been a part of this normal kind of legislative process and yeah i think that's why there's so much unpredictable unpredictability right now you know as you going back to how you started it it's just a lot of uncertainty so you know yeah. we'll see how it all plays out but yeah it's going to be yeah uncharted territory definitely
0: Absolutely. And so as we sort of start to wade into said uncharted territory, Kareem, like, what are you looking for in the coming months? Are there certain things that you're going to say, okay, now I've got a better sense of it, or I'm wait- I'm anticipating that this is going to happen? I mean, sort of what are you looking for and expecting?
1: So yeah, I think uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, obviously the amount of bills introduced, uh, I think there will be a lot of bills introduced. I just based off the amount of new members, I mean, I would be shocked if we don't have some astronomical number when we look in two weeks to see how many bills we have. So, you know, I think we'll see a lot of ideas that are out there, but going back to, you know, the point we were just raising about, you know, session kind of returning back to normal, I also think that, you know, you'll see a lot kind of settled more at the committee level versus things. Now, this could be different depending on how, you know, the speaker decides to allow members. If he puts, you know, some years, even though usually in new General Assembly years, you don't put a limit on how many uh, bills members can introduce. But, you know, with so many members, I guess I wouldn't be shocked if, you know, there's, you know, the Speaker or the Senate President says, hey, give me your top three priorities and let's see if you can advance those. So I think it'll be a lot of just concepts out there. A lot of we won't know what's real and what's not real until we get probably into, you know, more of February, March. But the coming weeks, we'll at least see, you know, who gets the committee chairs, you know, how are the committees going to be set up and, you know, how many bills get introduced. I, I guess those are the main three things. To look at, you know, at least in the next couple of weeks.
0: Absolutely, and we've got a sense of the committees, but we end, but we, and we have leadership, mm-hmm. but we don't have all the chairs, and we don't have all the members yet of all the committees. And then I just went to look it up because you know, in the House, there are twelve hundred bills filed already, and you know they've been in session, in of the hundred and third a little over a week. Um and so that we're going to be busy. I think it's you know, I think oh, yeah. you're we're going to have a lot of bills to read um and try to, you know, figure out okay, is this an idea that you really that that a legislator is going to put a lot of their political capital and time in um or is this just an idea where they want to just see where, you know, like where they just put it out there. Um, I I think we're going to, to your point, Kareem, given that number already, um, and the time, I mean, I think we're going to talk about this, but like they are not taking a full legislative, like we're not going to May 31st this year. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean? And then, you know, there's just a lot of contributing factors that I think will determine how things unfold.
1: Yeah, agreed. And, you know, when you look, like you said, the deadlines that are in place now and the early adjournment, you know, lead you to believe if there are going to be that many bills, I don't know, either <laughs> one chamber is just going to release all these bills and the other one's going to have to stop it. And then, you know, that also leads to frustration. And, you know, that's something else to watch is, you know, I think it's clear, you know, even based off, you know, the way the, uh, the debate around the gun bill, the gun legislation they passed and, and, you know, even going back to the safety act and other things, you know, there's going to be this kind of question of if the governor and, you know, one chamber, whether it be the house or Senate are on board, can they just put the other chamber in a position where even if the members in that chamber are ready to take, you know, set issue on, you know, how often can you do that? And do you only do that for big issues or, are we going to see a situation where, you know, everything passes out of the House, but you can't get out of the Senate? I mean, that, those are all the kind of uncertainties that we keep circling back to. But um, like you said, our ending earlier in May, I mean, that doesn't, it doesn't lead you to believe there's going to be a lot of activity on most of these bills, but you know, you never know.
0: Right. I mean, I think, and everybody is asking me this, you know, um, you know, on the Medicaid side, of what are you anticipating and what are you looking at? And, and I think I don't know yet. You know, like there are Medicaid is a third of the state's budget. So Medicaid's always going to be the focus. Managed care, you know, is 80% of the program, of 80% of the members are in managed care. So again, managed care is going to be part of the focus. Like we know that. But we also know other things right like we know that there is a nursing workforce shortage and and honestly to the point of a crisis um we know that this is impacting all providers we know that um that there are things on the commercial insurance side that you know they're that they're going to take up legislators are going to take up we know that healthcare in general you know beyond sort of the insurance side is going to be busy, and then we know that the state budget is could just look really different. Like, okay, we're out of COVID, um, in the sense you know we've reached that endemic stage. You know, we don't anticipate a lot of federal funding. You know, a, you know, booms of federal funding at this point. So what does that mean? And again, I think our budget's in a strong situation. But I think when we look um, west, you know, out to California, they're having some budget issues. And and so I think, you know, does that make people nervous? Um, and, and I don't know the answer. You know, like, I would say in Illinois, from a budget perspective, they've been, they've been reserved. Over the last few years, to really get our fiscal house in order, and they've done that very successfully. Now we see there are tons of workforce pressures. Um, you know, I, every provider group that I talk to, understandably, um, wants additional resources from the state to handle these growing pressures. And um, you know, are we in a situation where we can meet that request or not? And you know, for our listeners. The reason why inevitably Medicaid, any conversation around Medicaid policy turns to the state budget is that you really can't talk about Medicaid without talking about the fiscal impact, because almost anything you do is going to have a fiscal impact to the state. And then, of course, um an impact to millions of our neighbors, and so it's just such a large program that little things can cost quite a bit of money, um, especially when you think of, you know, we are spending. Oh, the number used to be pre-pandemic, um, a little over forty million dollars a day on Medicaid. Now that we've seen our the growth of the program so much through the pandemic, through individuals enrolled in the pandemic. I suspect it's, um, you know, probably in the 50 million or so a day. So little changes to the program that can, you know, that eats away at the state budget real quick. So, you know, to your point, Kareem, I think there's gonna be a lot of action. Like we are all gonna be very, very busy and there are gonna be a lot of big discussions But with that May 15th deadline and we know we need a budget and we know there are some other big bills that'll be making their way through and we've been so busy. You know, how much is making it across the actual finish line? I just don't know yet. I think we'll get a sense in the first month or so, like so in a month you know, maybe we'll come back and I'll have you back on in early March and we probably will have a better sense of like, okay, this is what's going to happen or, you know, this is the pace we're taking. But right now it could go, it could be record-breaking with the amount of bills that are passed or it could be kind of, um, I'll call it deliberative.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. and Yeah, I think, the balancing act will be, yeah, for all the bills that are out there. And, you know, the other thing is there's so much that still needs to be implemented. I mean, the Pritzker administration, they have a energy bill that just passed recently. And, you know, they're still implementing parts of the cannabis bill that passed years ago and sports wagering. So, you know, I think this would actually be an ideal time instead of creating a number of new programs and, you know, maybe, that's kind of the directive that will come, which we won't know it if that's the directive that comes from the administration, but maybe the idea is to allow the legislature to kind of kick around some of the ideas of what's already out there and how it can be better implemented versus kind of creating more and more new ideas, especially, as you said, with all the, although, you know, from a budget perspective, Illinois is in a better situation. I don't think we can say we're completely in the clear. So, yeah. Yeah. You're right. I think it's by March, we'll have a much better sense of, you know, if things are kind of out there and moving from chamber to chamber or things getting slowed down in committee or, you know, kind of what the process looks like. And that should give us an indication of probably how things will play out the next couple of years.
0: Yes, absolutely. And as a technocrat, as somebody who just loves good government and solid policy implementation, I I love the idea of, like, let's implement and then really discuss, okay, we've implemented this. Can we make it better? You You know, just let's solidify the strong programs we have. And if we have a dire urge and we really need to add something or we really need, you know, to address something, absolutely, always. But as, you know, a consumer of government services, as all of us are, you know, I want government to work for me and for my neighbors and for everybody across the state. And sometimes that just requires us to look at what's already in place and where can we shore it up. And I think, um, you know, one thing we're seeing in Illinois, especially, is challenges with state workforce also. You know, we it they're great jobs, but folks are retiring And I have heard from agency after agency who is just having trouble filling vacancies. And so we're going to have some real discussions around, um, you know, how do we make government work um, in, you know, as the times change? And I think I, I love the idea of the legislature really taking that on and and taking a look at, okay, we've passed all of these programs in the last you know, five, six years, what's to a status check and um talk about improving implementation, strengthening it. Um and what is the what does the administration need to to improve it? You know, a real partnership and, and collaboration there. I love that.
1: Yeah, no, nah, that's that would be an ideal situation. I mean, you know, a lot of times, you know, the highlights of the profession of lobbying or consulting is, you know, it's do this or that. But honestly, what gives you the most satisfaction, at least for me is being able to deliver information that helps both parties, you know, whether it be the legislator and the client or vice versa. So I think, yeah, more communication is always ideal, especially when we're talking about the volume of like issues that we have that are out there. So yeah, I think that's you know I'm with you. That that would be an ideal situation, but I've learned not to expect ideal Ugh. situations, so I'm not going to get too excited.
0: Yes, I'm just <laughs> dreaming. I'm just dreaming. Oh, Kareem, I could chat with you all day. And of course, as we've already sort of like we'll have you back in March, sort of do a status check. Where are we? Um, but I just want to thank you for joining me today.
1: Uh, it's always a pleasure, and uh, look forward to reconnecting again in March. I'm sure we'll have a lot to talk about.
0: Oh, yes, hopefully all good things. Mm-hmm. All right, our listeners, to learn more about what I'm Hip is doing and to listen to other interesting podcasts like this one, we encourage you to visit our website at imhip.org. And don't forget to like and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. I'm Samantha Oldsfry. The Sam and Sam says, thanks for joining us. And until next time, be well and stay safe.